Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People can be funny, can't they? I mean, you could tell a guy that there's 735,688,012, so many thousands and hundreds of stars in the universe, and that person will believe you. But if that same person sees a sign that reads, wet paint, they feel like they need to make a personal investigation. Signs. When we read signs, they are meant to instruct, to warn, to direct. And you can tell a lot about what's going on by just reading signs. I'll show you. I'm going to read you signs that I read this week, and you tell me where I was. First sign. Fasten seat belts while seated. Use seat bottom cushion for flotation. It was an airplane. I was flying back after last Sunday's service back to Southern California. The second sign I read that I wrote down, San Juan Capistrano, 17 miles. That's driving on the road from the airport to my previous home. Here's a third sign. Drive defensively. Do not tailgate. Use mirrors. Caution at intersections. And watch overhead clearance. It was a Penske truck, to be exact, 16-foot, rent-yourself, that I put books in and a bed in and a few items to drive back from California toward Albuquerque. Here's another sign, Wilmington, South Carolina, 2,558 miles. Anybody know where that is? Barstow. It's when you make the turn right onto I-40, that sign's right there. And finally, welcome to Albuquerque. Albuquerque next 17 exits. It's right outside town here. (laughs) Signs, once they have been fulfilled, tell you of the journey past. This is where you've been. You look back at the signs. They're over. They're fulfilled. Signs that are unfulfilled tell you what's coming up ahead and give you that instruction. Matthew 24, there is a list of signs Jesus gives about the future. Things we can expect to be coming. When Jesus gives signs, they're not good guesses. He's not taking a stab in the dark. They're firm indicators of what will come after that moment in time. A lot of times people make predictions, and they're just good guesses. When the Bible makes a prediction, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. There was a tourist driving through West Texas, and he pulled into a gas station for some fuel, and he noticed a sign that said, Weather Forecaster, on it. And what was odd about it, it was just a rope dangling from a nail. So he asked the attendant, how can that sign be a weather forecaster? And the attendant said, well, it's pretty easy, Sonny. When that rope is going back and forth, it's windy. (laughs) When that rope is wet, it's raining. 
When it's frozen stiff, snowstorm. And when that rope is gone, tornado. (laughs) We go, big deal. What kind of a forecaster is that? Well, Jesus tells of the tornado that is coming in Matthew chapter 24. And he tells it to his disciples after they have heard some rather troubling news. They were expecting the kingdom, but Jesus said, The temple that you just left is coming down. Every stone that you see will be toppled. Not one stone will be left. So they want some signs. And they tell him so in verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now Jesus answers that question, or those three questions, and he first gives them signs. And first on the list, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. Okay, here's the setup. It's a conversation. Jesus speaks to his disciples. Disciples ask questions. They're talking back and forth. And though they're speaking to one another, and though they're using the same words, they're not connecting. They, the disciples, don't quite understand yet what Jesus means by His words, and so He will explain in Matthew 24. Remember we said last week, the disciples, along with all of the Jews at that time, had a fixed eschatology in mind. That is, in their heads there was a scenario of events that would occur when the Messiah comes at the end of days. And they expected that was the case. They certainly were not expecting Jesus to die on a cross, even though Jesus told them plainly what would happen on the way up toward Jerusalem. Jesus said, Gentlemen, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to beat me up. They're going to scourge me. They're going to spit on me. And they're going to kill me. Very plain. Very open sign and prediction. That's what's going to happen. But this is what the Bible says was their reaction. But they understood none of these things. Here Jesus tells them plainly what's going to happen. And they're going, huh? They didn't get it. They weren't connecting those dots. It reminds me of a sign I heard about on a psychiatrist's door that simply read, Amnesia patients pay in advance. (laughs) Well, these disciples, it seems, have a bit of spiritual amnesia, selective listening disorder. They heard what Jesus said, that it's going to happen, he's going to die, but they're not really thinking that way. They think he's going to set up the kingdom. So they ask him this question after Jesus predicts the fall of Jerusalem. Now this morning, we're going to look at these verses that we just read, 3, 4, and 5. And I believe there are three ways every follower of Christ ought to look. As we navigate our way through this world, we ought to look up and be expecting the coming of Jesus Christ at any moment. We ought to be looking around because there's plenty of signs Jesus gives to indicate where we're at in the prophetic clock. And then we ought to look out 
for spiritual counterfeits and deceptions that are everywhere and Jesus even here predicted. So look up, look around, and look out. First, we're to look up. Now, you'll notice that Jesus was asked by the disciples, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, don't be confused by that word. When they use the word coming, it's different than how Jesus uses the word coming, and thus he will explain to them what he means. The word parousia could be translated, what will be the sign of your appearing? See, in their minds, they're not thinking Jesus is going to leave and then come again. They think Jesus is going to set up a coming set of events at any moment. We talked about those events last week. So they asked the question, when? And they probably expected an answer like, today, or tomorrow, or no later than Passover in a few days, I'm going to do all of these things that you have anticipated and expected that I would do. But they did not think that there would be a long period of time that we have seen 2,000 plus years in waiting for Jesus to come back. How do we know that? Because when Jesus was with his disciples on the way up to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, uh, they approached Jerusalem and it says, Jesus gave them a parable because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Then. Now. Soon. And so Jesus tells them a story and he begins by saying, there was a certain nobleman who went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So in that parable, he basically tells them, I am leaving. I'm not staying here. I'm not setting up my kingdom here anytime soon. But I will return. And that coming will be very glorious and very powerful. He will give them that answer. In fact, skip ahead in chapter 24. Look at the 29th verse. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. So, you see then, Jesus is clearing up the confusion that is in the minds of the disciples when they ask, tell us about your coming. Because what they mean and what Jesus means is very different. It's like the little boy who went to the pastor after his Sunday morning sermon and he said, Pastor, today you told us that we came from the dust. That's right, said the pastor. You were listening. We all as human beings came from dust. Yeah, I got that part. But but then he also said, Pastor, that we're all going back to dust. Yeah, that's right. Why do you look so worried? The little boy said, Preacher, you got to come over to my house as soon as you can and look under my bed. Because there's someone underneath there who's either coming or going. (laughs) 
Now, I think the disciples sort of felt like, okay, so are you coming or going? And the answer is both. I'm, I've come, I am going away for a period of time, and then I am coming back again. Verse 27, look at that verse. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. All right. So here we are today, reading this that was spoken 2,000 years ago, and we have a vantage point. Here we are waiting for the Lord to return. But from our vantage point, we are waiting for two significant events. And I want to talk about them that constitute the coming of the Lord. Event number one, Jesus comes toward the earth for His church. Event number two, Jesus comes to the earth with His church. Two very different events separated by time, and I'll explain. One is the rapture of the church, and it's only for believers. The other one is the second coming. Every eye will see Him on that one. So event number one, he comes toward the earth for his saints, for his church. Second, he comes to the earth with his saints. Now Matthew chapter 24 doesn't deal primarily with the rapture. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the second coming after the tribulation period, which could cause a few furrowed brows in hearing that. You go, no, wait a minute. Why would Jesus tell his disciples who are believers about the tribulation and not about the rapture? Shouldn't they be waiting for the rapture of their believers? They're not going to be around for the tribulation. Well, that's true. They won't be around for the tribulation, but with the same reasoning, they're not going to be around for the rapture either, right? Jesus knew that. They're going to die long before that. We're still waiting for that. But here's the issue. Remember we said that Matthew chapter 24 has a context, a frame, we called it last week. It's Jewish in context. It's not Presbyterian. It's not Baptist. It's not Methodist. It's Jewish And Jesus in Matthew 24 is outlining the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year period known as Daniel's 70th week or the Great Tribulation period that deals with Israel and Jerusalem. So look down at verse 15. Therefore, when you, that is you who were alive at the time these things happened, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Now we're going to discover in the next few weeks what that means. We're going to go all through Daniel's 70th week. But know this in advance. Tuck this away in your mind, in your heart. The book of Daniel, principally Daniel chapter 9, principally Daniel 9, 25, 26, and 27, is the backbone of all prophecy. It's the key to unlocking the door to the answers of the future. Jesus mentions it here. We'll go through it later. But what Jesus is dealing with is that period of time because it deals with the Jewish nation and God's program revolves around, as we saw last week, that nation. Okay, here we are today. We're waiting for the rapture, which will happen at the end of the church age, whenever God decides that's up. Then there will be a tribulation period of seven years. Then He will come back to the earth with us. 
But we're waiting for that first event. His coming toward the earth for us. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? You know it well. It's a familiar text. It's the classic passage, and there are others, but the classic passage on the rapture of the church, which we should be looking for at any moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. By the way, I remember when somebody first told me about the rapture, and I said to them, You're nuts! You saying we're just going to float up in the air? He said, well, we're not really going to float. We're just going to be instantly taken up. And I said, you got to be crazy. And then he showed me this text. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Can't wait to hear that shout. And with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You say, wait wait a minute. I didn't read rapture in that. I don't see the word rapture. You're right. The word rapture isn't in the Bible. But the doctrine of the rapture is in the Bible. Don't let the word throw you. Hey, the word Bible isn't in the Bible. Do you own one? The word millennium isn't in the Bible, but the term thousand years, which effectively is a millennium, is. So you ask, well, where do we get the term rapture from? Well, look at that term in verse 17, caught up. Caught up is an English translation of a Greek word, harpazo, which is translated differently 13 times in the New Testament. Here's a sampling. Four times it's translated to catch up. Three times it's translated to take something by force. Twice it's translated to catch away. Twice, pluck. Once, to catch and another time to pull. So here's the idea. That's what's going to happen. He's going to come and... Us. (laughs) There is a translation of the New Testament by a Greek scholar, Kenneth Wiest. It's a very literal, almost wooden, but very colorful translation. Listen to how he renders verse 17. We shall be snatched away forcibly in masses of saints having the appearance of clouds for a welcome meeting with the Lord in the lower atmosphere. That's what's going to happen. You say, I still didn't hear the word rapture in that. Well, when a guy named Jerome translated the Bible from Greek into Latin, the term he used for catchaway, harpazo, was rapto or rapere, which is where we get our term rapture. That's where it comes from. We're waiting for that. And the rapture 
and the second coming are two different events. You see, the rapture, he comes toward the earth, not all the way to the earth. It's not a full coming. The rapture is sort of like a flyby, a near pass. It's what our friend Raul Reese would say, he's cruising. (laughs) And we'll be on the ride with him. And only believers who are on the earth will see that appearing. The second coming is different. The second coming, Jesus comes from heaven through the air to the earth. And the Bible says, every eye shall see him. The rapture, Jesus selects his bride. The second coming, he comes back with his bride. At the rapture of the church, the focus is the church and Christ. The second coming, the focus is Israel and the kingdom. That's why the context here in Matthew 24 is that. The rapture will be unpredictable, as the Bible says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You don't know when that hour is. Nobody does. However, the second coming will be very predictable. In fact, you could count in days when Jesus will return to the earth from the midpoint of the tribulation. 1,260 days. The Bible gives you the specific days. It's predictable. So two different events. This is what it means to us. The harpazo, the rapto, the could happen at any moment. And I spoke to a student last night who said, I hope it comes before school starts this year. (laughs) And I said, amen. I do too. It could come at any moment. We're waiting for that. There is nothing on the prophetic timetable that precludes the Lord from taking us away anytime. So we look up for that. Now also, some believe that the events of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, which is Israel being invaded from the north with allies of Persia, Iran, and others could also occur before the tribulation. There's debate on that, but several believe that we could see that happen, which makes the events over in the Middle East, what's been happening in the last few weeks, very interesting, and we're watching it very carefully. So how are we to look? We're to look up. Number two, we're to look around. Because you'll notice the word in the question the disciples posed to Jesus back in verse 3. What will be the sign of your coming? And the term sign or signs is used throughout Matthew 24. Semeon, sign, signal, indicator, clue. You know, God is a God of signs. When God works upon the earth, He does it in such a way that He gives mile markers, indicators, so that His people will know what's coming ahead. Listen to this very interesting scripture out of the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. That's interesting. When God works, he reveals so that his prophets can tell his people this is what's happening. So there are signs of the times. On one occasion, 
the religious leaders came to Jesus and they said, show us a sign from heaven. Which is, it's, it's an interesting demand since he had just been doing all sorts of miracles. And now they want a sign. What have they been seeing? And Jesus said, well, you fellas in the evening when the sky is red, you make a prediction and you say it's going to be beautiful weather tomorrow. But if you wake up in the morning and you see the sky is red, you make another prediction. You say it's going to be foul weather today. You're reading the signs of the heavens. And then he said to them, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky. How is it that you can't discern the signs of the times? In other words, I'm holding you guys accountable to read the signs that would predict that I am your Messiah who has come for this season. There were signs. There were indicators. Several of them. 300 plus predictions in the Old Testament that would give the personal profile of the Messiah so it would be unmistakable. Every Jew at the time should be able to point to Jesus and say, that's the Christ. The Bible predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Bible predicted that the Messiah would be under the tribe of Judah. That he would have the lineage of King David. That he would also be there before the destruction of the temple. There were several signs and they didn't see what those signs were. Well, we have several more signs that we're to look around at. Matthew 24 gives a list of them. Now, again, just want to underscore, the signs that we're about to read today and in the next several weeks are signs that will occur during the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, also known as the time of Jacob or Israel's trouble. Primarily, those signs happened then. How do I know that? Well, if you were to compare the signs that are here, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, verse 5, verse 6. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for these are things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. If you compare that with Revelation chapter 6, where we see the judgments unfolding at the end times. And you remember there was a scroll that was sealed with seven seals and the Lamb, Christ, takes the scroll and peels off each seal. And with each peeling of the seal is a judgment. So the first seal is peeled off and out comes a a white horse. And that's the horse that brings deception. And then he peels off the second seal and out comes a red horse. And that horse brings war. And he peels the third seal, and out comes a black horse. And that's the horse of famine. And then he peels off the fourth seal, and out comes a pallet, a pale horse. And the horse brings death. And the signs that come in chapter 6 of Revelation are strikingly similar to the signs that Jesus tells us here. There's another clue. Verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. If you have a New International Version, what does your version read? Birth pains. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. That is a more accurate translation. And it's a clue. And every mother in this congregation knows what Jesus is speaking about. You see, birth pains aren't normal pains. 
You don't have them all through a pregnancy. Birth pains are specific to the time a child is about to be delivered. I remember that May evening in 1986 when Lenya turned to me and said, He's coming. And I said, The Lord's coming? (laughs) No, my baby's coming. I know because... I'm feeling something I've never felt before. This pain is intense, and this pain is frequent. It's timed. Those contractions are more frequent and more intense. And what a mother experiences with birth pains, the world will experience in the tribulation period. You see, the signs in verse 5, 6, 7, those things have always been around. There's always been false messiahs. There's always been war on the earth. There's always been famine in different places and pestilences. But when those things become more frequent and more intense, ah, it's the beginning of birth pain. Something is going to be delivered. So it is in the book of Revelation. There are seal judgments, which probably take place over a period of years, followed by seven trumpet judgments, which probably take place over a period of months, Then finally, there are bold judgments as judgments are poured on the earth that some believe take place more rapidly, certainly more intense, over a period of weeks or even days. Some think even hours. So the pain becomes more frequent and more intense. Now, I believe that even before the tribulation, as we start looking on the prophetic horizon we also see some of these things lining up that cause us to watch the signs that are indicators that this time frame is about to come. Verse 42, you'll notice that Jesus gives this command, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So we're to look up because Jesus could come back at any moment. We're to look around because some of the signs that will be very evident in the tribulation we're already starting to see on the prophetic horizon. When Jesus came the first time, there was a star. You remember what those guys were called that followed the star? Wise men. Wise men picked up that sign. Fools disregarded. Oh, you're following a star. You made a trip for nothing. They were fools. They disregarded the sign. Like the man from New York City who bought a barometer. He always wanted one on his mantle. He went to a store. It was beautiful brass and wood. And he took it home to his house in Long Island. He opened it up. But as he looked at it, he was a little bit perturbed that... The needle seemed to be stuck in one location pointing to the section marked hurricane. The weather was perfect, but it was stuck, hurricane. So he pounded it on the desk, he shook it a little bit, but it stuck, hurricane, it read. He was so angry, he sat down and he wrote a letter to the company that produced it and the store from which he bought it. And he said, I'm going to mail the letter tomorrow when I'm in Manhattan at my office. He put the barometer on a shelf, 
Next day went to work, mailed the letter in downtown New York City, and in the afternoon drove back to Long Island, and he discovered that when he got there, not only was his barometer missing, but his house was also gone. A hurricane came. The indicator was right. He ignored the warning sign. So we're to look up. We're to look around. But third, we're to look out. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, said to them, Take heed. Blepo in the Greek means to open your eyes and look at something. Look out. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Don't you find it interesting that the very first sign on the list of signs is spiritual deception? He doesn't just mention it once, he reinforces it. Verse 11 Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 23, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, don't believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will rise and shall show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. There's always been false messiahs before and after Christ. But as soon as Jesus came and ascended into heaven... There seemed to be an unusual amount of activity that has increased, proliferated through time. For instance, in the early days, just before the temple was destroyed, as predicted by Jesus, there was a Jewish guy by the name of Shimon Bar Kokhba, and he led a great revolt. There are still coins called Bar Kokhba coins you can find. They're collector's items. He said he was the Messiah and that he would overturn the Romans and bring Israel to their glory days. Thousands of people followed him and hailed him as the Messiah. He was a false Christ. Here's the greater point. We could cite all sorts of people who have claimed to be the Messiah throughout history, but we're not. Because here's the greater point. Of all of the tools Satan uses, his most powerful tool where he puts all of his energy and focus is on deceiving people. It's on deception. He's done a good job. He's duped a lot of people. Listen to this 17-year-old from Los Angeles. This was in the L.A. Times. He says, quote, I often think Satan is a cool dude. Since he controls one part of the supernatural, he tends to let you be on your own and do whatever you want. Whereas God wants to put you in a prison cell. That young man is deceived. The tool has been sharpened and it has worked effectively in his life. Revelation chapter 12 describes the devil. He's called the great dragon, the serpent of old, who deceives the whole world. And that deception will continue until Satan produces his masterpiece. The Antichrist. Written about in Daniel, written about in Revelation chapter 13. He will deceive the world into worshiping him 
In fact, the abomination of desolation that Jesus mentioned back there in Matthew 24, verse 15, is all about this guy claiming to be God and setting up a statue of himself in the temple at Jerusalem. He's a deceiver. And Jesus even predicted this. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name and you didn't receive me. Another will come in his name. Him you will receive. Ooh, that's a scary prediction. Here's Jesus, the second member of the triune God, who has come honoring his Father under the power of the Holy Spirit. The nation didn't receive him. But he said, another will come in his own name, Antichrist. Him, you, the Jews, will receive. That's the deception. But, did you notice back in Matthew chapter 24, the term many? Look at it again, verse 5. For many, not one, not just two, not the false prophet and the Antichrist, many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, While that sign, that prediction primarily refers to the tribulation and the Antichrist deception, there is an ancillary, I believe, meaning, a secondary meaning. That is, you and I can expect Satan's activity of deception to be on the increase as the days go on toward the end. He will amp up his deceptive measures. I'm going to read a scripture to you, and I want you to listen carefully. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, singular, is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Here's the point. When God moves, Satan counter moves. When God works, Satan counter works. Every action brings an equal and opposite reaction. It's true even in the spiritual realm. When you turn on the light, the bugs will come. It's the way it is. And even Christians sometimes forget the real battle is a spiritual battle. We can easily get sidetracked and make the battle about something else. But here is the real battle. And somebody once wisely said, the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. Would love to lull us to sleep in spiritual lethargy. So these signs go on and we forget all about them. What we're to do is to look up. Be waiting for Jesus to come at any moment, living holy and godly lives. We are to look around, be aware of the landscape, be aware of God's prophetic clock. But then we're to look out, to be wary of counterfeits, of deception. You know, polar bears love to eat seals. This is a fact. But do you know how polar bears catch seals? By deception. You see, a polar bear... They say, though I've never watched it, will take in a deep breath and go underneath the water 
And under the water, look up and find the holes, the feeding holes of the seals. And under the water, the polar bear will make a scratching sound as if to simulate the movement of fish. Well, the seal gets all excited thinking there's a fish. He's going to jump down and get his supper only to discover he's the main course for the bear's supper. It's all deceptive. Could it be that some here have been lulled into unbelief or spiritual lethargy? Satan is clever. He'd love to destroy you. And if he can't do that, he would love to just disarm you, make you and I weak, unaware, not looking up, not looking around, not looking out. You remember one time when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has been asking about you lately. Now that would unnerve me if I were Peter and I heard that. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. And he said he wants to sift you like wheat, Jesus told him. Well, I would have said, well, what'd you tell him? (laughs) Jesus said, but I prayed for you, Peter. And when you are recovered, as if to say, you're going to fall... Strengthen your brethren. Same could be said of you. Satan would love to destroy you, and if he can't destroy you, to deceive you, to cause you to lull into his sleep. But Jesus would say, look up. Look around. Look out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit who is among us in your word teaching us. We are so weak. We are so easily distracted. We easily forget the basic stuff. We need to be reminded, all of us. Thank you for the privilege of fellowship the reminder through these beautiful songs of praise and reading of the Scripture that you're alive, you're in our midst, you're at work. But also, Lord, for revealing to us what is going to happen so that we can, with excitement, be looking for your soon return. At the same time, looking around, we discover time's just about up. Events are unfolding once again that would cause us to Lift up our heads because our redemption draws near. But Lord, to be wary that God is moving, but also our enemy is on the prowl to look out, lest we be deceived in any way. Lord, we would pray this morning also for anyone who has come who either is in that camp of disbelief or they have been in a time of spiritual lethargy. They want to be freed from either of those camps. They want to be freed from the deception of the enemy. They want to step into or back into the light and enjoy your fellowship. Enjoy freedom. Enjoy forgiveness. Enjoy peace. Lord, we know that that comes by surrendering the life, the will, to Jesus Christ. 
thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.